connect them. Drive bars, easy go connect them. Drive bars, easy go connect them. Drive bars. This is the Bones Podcast. The Bones Podcast. That's what we should have called it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, the, the Boney Island Whitefish. People are going to be confused. Is there an island? Is there a fish? Uh, you know, how is it bony? Is it a bony fish? And so on. Is that a reference to condoms, which are famously hated by the hosts of the Boney Island Whitefish? And we do not endorse their use. <laughs> that is so true. I'm very anti-condom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm mostly looking forward to having children just so I can show the world how how I have fucked without a condom. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's great. Like it, it was, I, I can walk up monogamous long term relationships. That's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, or you know, hmm? just don't use huh? them. Or yeah, just don't well, use I them. Mean, it's legal to not it's, use a condom. It's look if you look. Here's the mess. Look, we've been gone for a week because we were crafting <laughs> our new message. Our new message to you, the listener, which is you don't have to use a condom. You don't have to unless the person you're having sex with wants you to, in which case you absolutely do have to. Yes, that's also true. If someone you asks you to use a condom. You also can't make a big deal out of it. You can't make a big deal out of it. If someone that's asks you to use uncool. a condom, you do have to use it. But in general, in an abstract world, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the more we raise awareness of it, we can finally eradicate the scourge of condom use. <laughs> the, the, the more we raise awareness of the fact that, did you know, 100 years ago, people, people weren't even using condoms? No. People it weren't. used to be weird to wear one. And say, you know what, oh. if, these, if these trends continue, the government could make you be wearing one all day. Every day, you know. It just made me think of um, <laughs> a friend of mine going to another country and uh, buying uh, buying condoms from like a. I'm, I'm trying to remember where he was. I want to say it was maybe somewhere in Europe. Ah, um, uh, yeah. So yeah, the classic uh, European condom. They're square well, over here. Well. <laughs> Yeah, they got a different different penis shape. The mine doesn't fit into. <laughs> no, it's um, a European Union thing. So, so he went and uh, bought some condoms from a from a store or a chemist or whatever, and opened one and was like, "Huh." Now, normally, folks listening at home, when you purchase a condom and roll it onto your penis, which I'm sure you have, um, <laughs> what are you expecting? Most of the time, perhaps something to help you get it onto your penis and into the person that you're putting your penis inside of. Um, no, instead, he discovered that his condom was powdered. Have you ever encountered a powdered condom? Um, you mean like the kind that they would wear in high court? <laughs> <laughs> or like the kind sort of Georgian aristocrats used to wear? Yeah, they put the wig on and then they roll roll one of these condoms on, pull the trousers up, and they get to business. That's right. Yeah, you know, that's that. All right, butter. All right, butter dicks, butter up, buckle up. I'm going to talk to you about Bo Brummel and how he made everyone wear condoms. <laughs> um, but I think the answer is that you can get um, you can get like non lubricated condoms, basically. Uh huh. And if you've got a non-lubricated condom mm -hmm. and it's rolled up in the package as they are, mm -hmm. then you need a way for it to not like uh, be extremely stuck to itself. And so you just, you know, put a little powder on there. Yeah. You put a and then I guess you got to supply your own lube. I, I suppose, I mean, you know, I'm no scientist. So I, I don't know, maybe the powder. You see, that's the thing, right? This is so complicated and the condom lobby doesn't want you to understand. It's a lot Big like condom. it's a lot like the Bible being in Latin, and we need a, a, a Protestant Reformation moment for the condom industrial complex. Here's a listing on Amazon.it, which uh -huh. I okay. assume to be the nefarious Italians. <laughs> That's right. You can buy yourself a pack of Sailor um, Grunband. 
pay yourself a package of six dry powdered condoms by Sailor. Mm. And cool. I will not be buying that. No. I got married for a reason. Yeah. And so I'd never have to powder my penis again. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, Taking a bite of a powdered donut and just like tapping it over my penis. Like, like mashing a, a cigarette, you know? <laughs> Maybe one day I won't have to have sex with this powdered donut in the meantime. Until then, though. Uh, speaking of powdered donuts, you want to play yeah, a little stinger for me? I want to play a little bit of breakfast or dinner update. All right, everyone. So you know what it is. Uh, it's the end of the week, and I like to treat myself to a nice breakfast towards the end of the week. Ooh. So I got myself uh, some sourdough from the uh, Pavilion Bakery near my house. Um, a couple of pieces of uh, very nice organic smoked salmon, um, some Normandy butter, and uh, Cornish sea salt. I layered these things on top of one another with a little bit of toast. Um, I cut a, a dill pickle into quarters, put that beside on the plate, and then squeezed two big wadges of lemon over top. I have that also with the orange mug, which alongside the red mug are the two best mugs. So all in all, you know, today was an absolute out of the park Riley breakfast classic uh, for the kind of thing I like to have on Thursdays and Fridays. Um, if, if I can make every breakfast, I know sometimes the breakfast update gets a little bit repetitive. Oh, it's the sourdough. Oh, it's the smoked salmon. But once you've found the main thing, once you've found the thing that you like, and you know you're gonna you. hit, you know you're gonna hit it out of the park every time, you know. You just you keep coming back to that well. This is where that podcast money goes, folks. Fancy salmon and French butter. That's right. <sighs> Sounded pretty good though. Yeah, it's very. Um, I mean, yeah, go go ahead with dinner update. Oh well, breakfast update this morning. All right. I um got out of bed. Uh, late because I'm on holidays and that means that I can have edibles whatever night I like you know um, organic edibles organic Normandy edibles. E with Normandy edibles <laughs> <laughs> for, uh, edibles purchased from this local bakery artisanal edible um, yeah, imagine I mean, the, she the chef's table music playing while you just like <laughs> place a weed gummy onto a plate <laughs> you have your fancy butter and I have mine you know? Yeah, that's right. Um, so I I made a kimchi pancake for breakfast. Ooh. Um, because I had uh, batter for kimchi pancake with, you know, all the spring onions and carrot and kimchi and all that sort of stuff. Onion. Delicious. Uh, still sitting there in the fridge from last night. Dinner update. Where I made a fried chicken. We had some Korean type fried chicken. Uh, kimchi pancake. And um, the Korean classic, corn cheese. Corn cheese. Corn cheese is the name of the dish. Um, and Koreans know how to do it when it comes to food you should eat while drinking a lot of beer. Mm -hmm. And so um, corn cheese is where you take some tinned corn kernels. Okay. You drain them, obviously. You're not a savage. Duh. Uh, and then you have like a mixture of usually um, mayonnaise, sugar. I have seen it done with condensed milk. Okay. In some places. But mayonnaise, uh, sugar, and then uh, mozzarella, a nice little mozzarella over the top. And you then um, like, you can grill it, you can broil it, as you might say. Uh-huh. Um, and then basically you get this big... Big, sweet, cheesy, gooey corn mess. Mm -hmm. And you just it, scoop it out and eat it. It does sound like a mess. Um, so DM me if you would like to be the uh, the, the host, co-host of the Boney Island Whitefish when Andrew's arteries <laughs> explode. <laughs> My arteries will never explode. They're too powerful. They're too well lubricated. Yeah. And they learned the lesson from your appendix. The fried chicken was good. Because um, we went to, went to a big... A big uh, Korean grocery store that I hadn't been to uh, near our mm -hmm. house that my wife went to, and she said, "You're gonna want to go to this place." 
Um, so I got a big, big new tub of uh, gochujang, the chili paste that you oh, make yes. all the I, good, good Korean dishes out of. There's a there's a there's a, a sort of generic age like East Asian grocery store about five minutes from me, which in central London is like unthinkable because most of the grocery stores are just like um like a Tesco Metro or a, a little Waitrose or what have you. And um so a actual grocery store of actual heft that isn't one of the national chains that's a specialist is it's it's gold dust. And and I I myself bought a sort of kilogram of uh, gochujang from there. Oh, just delicious stuff. Oh, yeah. And while we were stocking up, um, we got a, a big bag of like Korean pancake mix. So I, I had been reading a lot about making Korean pancakes recently, which are the, the great big like dinner plate sized ones. Yeah, they're delicious. Uh, to get to the old restaurant. And the, you're sort of meant to make the stuff out of a combo of like, several different starches and flours and stuff like that mm-hmm. and i'd said to myself at some point i suspect that the average korean household just has a bag of you know the pancake mix stuff mm-hmm. uh, which i had seen on the youtube channel of my beloved korean cooking friends aaron and claire okay. i love aaron and claire um so we got a bag of the pancake mix uh very happy with that uh, also got a bag of like uh, chicken coating uh, batter mix kind of stuff. It's also good. Uh, some nice big radish pickles on the side. Oh, delicious. Some some kimchi. I chose between at the store. They had radish kimchi. They had uh, ponytail kimchi. What? They had special kimchi and premium kimchi. And we were like, well, how am I meant to choose between special and premium? You know? How do you choose? Did did you end up making a choice or did you buy both, make special premium kimchi or was it some kind of philosophical dilemma and you ended up choosing neither? Uh, I think we went with special in the end because my wife finally walked over to the big fridge and said, just get that one. (laughs) Yeah, this is is the same thing. I'll I'll pop out to the um, Long Dan, it's called. Uh, I'll pop out to Long Dan, just be like, oh, I need to get some... um, some napa cabbage so i can make kimchi and then i'll have been there for an hour and i'll return with like a range of different fish powders and and uh, my girlfriend uh the girlfriend of the show my girlfriend is just <laughs> like why why do we need you know four different kinds of bonito flakes and i'm like i couldn't choose oh i did have to get myself some new um they're like uh anchovy and kelp tea bags basically oh, that you can cool. make you make like a, a fish fish broth out of that is the base for a bunch of dishes and i did need to get some new ones of those which i did so i got some bottles of soju uh got got a bunch of cass the korean lager um mm-hmm. which my friend when i once was drinking a cass uh, my south korean friend um <laughs> i was once drinking a cass and sent him a picture and he went ha, 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 that is the worst beer in korea oh so that's like me <laughs> taking a picture of drinking a fosters and sending it to you yeah yeah, yeah. basically basically it's not i was stop told it's australian for beer it's not though no now, i've said it before and i've said it again i've said it before i'm currently saying it yeah. um <laughs> i've never in my life seen an australian drink of fosters yeah, it's, i it's assume one of these, i never will it's one of these things where it, it's it's strange there was a moment in the 1990s where every other english-speaking country seemed to get a thing that was associated with australia that is in no way australian um like in london there are what? several popular sort of you know bars for douchebags called uh walkabout and oh, they're boy and, and like the, the, one of them is in like probably one of the world's most premium locations for a bar for douchebags where it's on the Thames but like as you go from the city to Westminster like south of a neighborhood called Covent Garden is all the neighborhoods in London and weird names um, and Covent Garden is like the touristy shopping or one of the, like three touristy shopping places and one of the places where like the theaters all are and just under the uh, the big embankment on the Thames, looking across at the London Eye and so forth, near the Houses of Parliament, there's a great big bar, Australian bar called Walkabout, and it's in, it's it always seems like very sort of discontinuous because it's one of the um, 
one of the most depressing locations in the entire world. Austere, depressing locations in the entire world. Um, well, but I don't hey. have to call it walkabout. That's no good. Yeah, sorry. There are a couple of them as well. I imagine that's deeply disrespectful to indigenous people. You betcha. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Great. Um, and, you know, it was also probably just started by, like, we were talking earlier about how all the land in Britain is actually owned by aristocrats and then just, like, rented by people who own 99 to 999-year leases. Broadly speaking, like, you can buy freeholds to most, like, freestanding houses, but if you have a flat, you can't own it. Um, and especially in central London, like, the Duke of Westminster, just contr- Hugh Grosvenor, just control, who's, like, 28 28-year-old billionaire just from inheriting all of central London. Um, and it's these kinds of guys who will like just have a, get a wild hair. And because they own all of central London, they can just be like, I think I quite might like to um, create a bar called Walkabout. Um, and then that just happens. Their dream becomes a reality. A middling reality. <laughs> Their dream becomes a terrible <laughs> middling reality for assholes. Um if you listen uh, to this show and you know uh, what any the story of the behind the bar the bar walkabout, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> the term walkabout, of course, yeah. refers to a rite of passage in Australian Aboriginal society during which males undergo a journey during adolescence, typically ages ten to sixteen, and live in the wilderness for a period as long as six months to make the spiritual and traditional transition into manhood. Mm-hmm. It's also where you go to get a pint of Fosters. Ah, <sighs> man, <laughs> everything, just middle brow, middle brow British and American culture from the 1990s is just the fucking worst. It's, it's all these, it's stuff that just didn't die. Like, like Outback Steak, Outback Steakhouse or the walkabout bars, or whatever, not just as it pertains to Australia, but like, it's just, it is. For some, I don't know what what it was about the 1990s. Like, if we were just sort of so, sort of so giddy as a culture to be like have nothing left to do, that we just sort of did whatever. But it, it that almost like the the, the sort of the, the middle brow the middle brow culture of the 1990s, like the sort of the birth of the fast casual restaurant or whatever. It just speaks to a kind of nihilism where it's like, as a culture, we've decided to get unlimited sa- like salad and breadsticks, and we're just going to be you know, having that until we sort of drift off into a, per- a permanent sleep. Can I share some sad news with you oh, ab- no. about specifically the death of this type of culture? Yes. Are you ready for it? Are you sitting down? I'm, I am seated. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, the final Sizzler restaurant in Australia has closed. Oh, no. But do, you, do you know what Sizzler is? I, I do, but but now okay. you know where are where, where where are real estate agents going to meet their dates? I know. Uh, this is from businessinsider.com.au. Sizzler is no more in Australia as its parent company announces the closure of the final nine restaurants. It's pretty wild that there were still places in Australia where you could go to a Sizzler, get yourself some pan bread, fill up on pan bread before uh, getting to the buffet, having a small bowl of some kind of pasta salad, and then mm-hmm. saying, I'm full. Yeah. Anyway, time to make this worth it by eating four plates of nothing but meat. That's what's up. I remember uh, Pizza Hut had a thing. I don't know if it was uh, anywhere else besides Australia, but they had a thing called The Works. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Pizza Hut The Works was like Pizza Hut attempting to do Sizzler. So they just had like a big buffet bar thing full of heat lamps um, that they would place pizzas under and you could go and get as many slices of the pizza as you liked. And every now and then someone would come out and take the empty tray and put a new ham and pineapple pizza down or whatever. Okay. And they also had a uh, dessert bar. I assume they had a salad bar. I never went over to it, I guess. <laughs> um, some kind of salad bar. And they had like a dessert bar and I remember like sitting in a Pizza Hut once and sitting like next to the dessert bar and this little kid, probably smaller than my smallest kid now, coming over, uh, standing up on her tiptoes and reaching her arm over the top of the, over the top of the, the edge of like the ice cream thing 
down mm. into one of the tubs of ice cream. Oh, no. Oh, grabbing no. Grabbing a big handful of ice ah, cream. Ah! No, no. Pull, pulling no. it out. No. Licking a bunch of the ice cream off of her hand. No, don't, don't, don't finish. I know where this is going. Please don't. Looking at her hand and then putting it back in the ice cream. <laughs> I'm never eating again. <laughs> um. There's no sneeze guard for that. You, know? All that t- you need a fucking sneeze SWAT team for that. <laughs> um, go, go. It's a little girl. <laughs> get her. Get Black bagging this kid. There's a bunch of guys bursting with... Uh, that's what... I, I, ACAB except for like a SWAT team <laughs> that protects buffets from gross people. Because that's what... I, I, there are, I, I hate buffets for two reasons. The first of which is that one. The second of which is a memory that the Bones episode this week was really stupid, so we don't need a lot of time to talk about it. The second okay. is a memory that came flooding back to me as you ta- told your buffet story. <laughs> but the other reason I don't like buffets is because, and by the way, before I, I'll start this, I want to add the caveat. I have a great relationship with my parents. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Where the fuck could this be going? Well, so we basically before I start the story of how I was scarred <laughs> I wasn't so much scarred it's just I'm very easily embarrassed like um like I'm so easily embarrassed that like I, my like um my nanny when I was like you know four once sort of saw me walking from my bedroom to my bathroom for a shower and saw my you know tiny little ass and then I hid under my bed because someone saw me naked for uh, days, huh. um, or I, I was I, I was visiting a sort of an uncle's house, and they'd recently got some kind of new, like as uncles do, some kind of new you know jet solution for the the sort of hydroponics, the waterworks around the place, and they're like, hey, why don't you take a take a bath in the new jacuzzi tub? And I was like, I didn't bring my bathing suit. <laughs> Because I was like, I'm unwilling to get it. Anyway, so uh, just, just to say, I'm very easily, em- I, I'm constitutionally very easily embarrassed. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I I remember I was going to a restaurant in Niagara-on-the-Lake with my parents in a little place called Queenston, which is at the top of the Niagara Escarpment, uh, which sort of looks out over the Niagara River. It's got, this restaurant had, I don't remember what it's called, had a beautiful view, um, a beautiful view. Uh, and, and, and I sort of learned also that day, the maxim is the better the view, the worse the food generally. Um, and and there was a a buffet and I was terribly excited for the buffet. Um, and, uh, so I, I sort of, I was good. I was eight, nine, like very, very young. And I sort of, I was in my little sweater vest and I went up and I got the, all the stuff and I got the big, the big flap of ashen meat that was carved off the thing. And I was super excited. Um, I came back and I ate it and I was loudly enjoying it. And then my parents looked at each other and said, this isn't very good. And then I was like, oh God, I'm loudly enjoying food that's not very good. And so now I, I still have a thing where oh, I'm like... Oh, you, you were embarrassed for your basic bitch taste. <laughs> Essentially. I was such a pumpkin spice fucking kid just being like, ooh, unlimited free ashen flaps of meat. Awesome. Well, never really thinking That's of... Is fine. This- Kids aren't meant to have good taste. My, my daughter is constantly like my seven-year-old. I think she, she really wants to be... I don't know. Like all kids, they, they want to be more sophisticated than they are, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but she she wants to like insist that she likes things that are clearly quite adult flavors, you know. Um, oh, so she wants like a like an agidashi dofu flavored hard candy, <laughs> or, like I, a, or, or like a like a wasabi flavored licorice. Well, as a dad, I do dad things. Like every morning, I get up and walk to the coffee machine and say, "Anybody want a coffee?" To my very small children. <laughs> oh, that's go, cute. No. <laughs> Um, but then Evie's like, yes, I do want coffee. And I'm like, oh, damn, taste, how do you respond you can to taste that? taste the coffee. And she's like, I will taste the coffee. And so I've then just made black coffee without putting the milk into it, which is how I drink it. <laughs> and, and gone, here, taste this. Just give it a, like a spoonful of black coffee, unsweetened. And she's like, boo. I mean, I love that. Mm-hmm. I like coffee now. And now she tells her friends, I drink coffee. <laughs> I did the same thing. I I insisted. I I insisted that um I I and I I, I remember like so vividly that wanting coffee and I wanted a newspaper but I I didn't I, I didn't know shit about it. 
I, but I wanted coffee in a newspaper. I just didn't know why. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's that's the thing. And we also we also let her taste a beer uh-huh. the other day because um, she's like, it's too hoppy. She- <laughs> Well, yeah, she was, I don't she like that like, IPA bullshit. I'm no fucking hipster in 2009. That's right. Just want a lager. Just a lager for me. Just a Foster's. Just a lager for me, thanks, uh, Dad. God. God. So, like, you know, my my mum, who we were staying with, was like, yeah, you can taste some beer or whatever. And she was like, oh, <laughs> freaking out about it. And we're like, you're not going to get drunk or die or anything. It's like... You know, two milliliters of beer. So her first two milliliter sips of beer was like someone else's first edible where they go from, I don't feel anything, <laughs> to, I'm in hell. <laughs> um, and she tasted it and then was like, and then moments later was like, uh, I love that. <laughs> I love the taste of beer. And I was yeah. like, no, you don't. I mean, I, absolutely I God don't. damn! From this is exa- I did the exactly the same thing. So it's all taking you back, gonna, isn't it? Your daughter's going to grow up to have a podcast. She's going to be a fancy lad. Yeah, your daughter's going to grow up like doing breakfast update and having a podcast and being like, you know, interested in sort of fine dining that's served in the medium of foams or whatever's popular in Michelin starred restaurants. In the, the time she grows up. Um, well, just to show some solidarity, I will say that. Um, we we all have these types of memories that you're talking about. One for me was uh, playing some type of game in primary school, like for a, you know a PE class uh, that involved like a big row of chairs uh, alternating facing like in and out, and all the kids sit on them. And one person is like uh, pursuing, and somebody else is running away. And if you if you're being pursued and you tap on the back of somebody else's chair, they get up. And they're running away. Then you sit down in the chair. Weird thing like that. Sort of like Duck, Duck, Goose a little bit. Yeah, but just like in a straight line. I think the trick was that... um, I think the the trick is that the person who's chasing isn't allowed to go between the chairs. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why the person who's being chased can just tap on the back of someone else's chair. And then they're on the other side from the person who's chasing. Okay. So we're playing this game, PE class. Uh, I am the person who is doing the trying to catch the other person. And in the course of this, someone is like, ha look at how he runs. Oh, no. Uh, and that was, that was just the end of me running in front of anyone for the next <laughs> like, five years, you know? Yeah. Now, it's, uh, now, if there's a fire in a building you're in, you're like, quickly, everybody, walk in an orderly fashion to the Time exit. Time to stroll down to... <laughs> Oh, it just, uh, it, that was just one of those ones where like in real time, you're like, oh no, what is no. wrong with what I'm doing right now? Well, it's, it'll uh, be like uh, British turfs are now doing where they think that Boris Johnson runs in a way that means he's actually a secret trans man. <laughs> um, and that all of his, all of his many lovers from the past also all run in a way where they're secretly trans women. So everyone flipped. Uh, n- nothing like another normal day in the UK. Well, it's the same conspiracy that like the Teacot people were doing in like 2014 about Obama being a trans man and Michelle being a trans woman. Oh yeah, yeah. Like that one. Oh, oh, Look at why her is arms. this? Cause, I mean, I, I, on the one hand, I want to say why is this particular conspiracy so popular? From a structural point of view, you could understand because you know it's virulent transphobia everywhere. But equally. What like on a tactical level makes the the leaders I don't like I'm pretty sure are all gender flipped and all of them together have changed to the other one and uh, there did it for reasons that are inscrutable to anyone but them. Hmm. Speaking of inscrutable. <laughs> yes. Speaking of inscrutable. I think we've officially gone longer than we did in the last episode before talking about bones. <laughs> To get a few comments from our beloved listeners. Uh Uh-huh. Getting further and further away from Bones before we start talking about Bones. The thing is, right, is that every episode of... I'm going to unlock a little secret for the episode, uh, for the, for the, the, the listeners. Every episode of Bones is pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've done a lot of commentary on the style of writing. 
yeah. uh, the many formulas. It's almost more interesting when they do accidentally deviate from the formula. Which, to be fair, they sort of do in this episode. They sort of do. There's because a few. There's a few things where they go off the off the track, the normal it's, track. If you want to say they, in several times in this episode, they go what you might call off piste, and then get lost in the woods and never return to the piste again. And then the episode just sort of restarts again from the top of the piste, and they eventually hope to keep throwing writers down this thing until one eventually gets to the bottom of the piste. Yeah. Yeah. The, the way it should be. The way good writing... <laughs> good writing is all about just sort of... Like, uh, here's the thing. Yes, we still think that this episode had the rule... I still think, anyway, this episode still had the rule of a uh, 45-minute episode of television written in 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's just... They were playing that chair game Andrew was talking about earlier. And when someone taps you on the back, you have to run. And then they write the episode for a while until someone taps them on the back. Yeah, it's like a, um, you know, you know, the, the things that like writers do on Twitter and stuff like that, where they go, oh, here's a prompt to start writing a thing. Or I'll, I'll write the first sentence of a thing and someone else has to continue. It's like that, the passing a baton of writing a TV show, except you don't get to hear what the previous person wrote. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and the... Um, it, it, it very much is... Like, this was a writing exercise. Where they were just like, oh, shit. We forgot. We just did this writing exercise and we forgot to write the episode. Just, just do the writing... Just submit the writing exercise as the episode. I was about to say that I dread the point where Bones does a bottle episode and then I remembered that they already did in this season. And it was the JFK one, wasn't it? So... In this episode, we are, of course, talking about episode 18, The Predator in the Pool... Mm-hmm. Uh, and we got a bones count of nine, pretty low. Yeah, that's it's going lower and lower every episode. Mm, and a bone count singular of twelve. Not great. Huh. No, not, not great good. For this episode, uh, nary a bone to talk about. You know, no, no one went to bone, bone storage this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one's. I mean, remember the heady days of bones. Take this bone to bone storage. I'm Bones, and I'm taking this bone to bone storage. Yeah, that's right. As commanded by the bone doctor over there. Yeah. So we open in the lab where they're wheeling in um, a leg that they found in a shark. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Just routine shark examination. Just shark stuff. Uh, no, I, I think it like a leg made of washed up with shark bites on it. Hmm. Um, well, but but they they figured out... Like that the shark that the leg was in had recently been released from an aquarium and that will be the setting for this episode. An aquarium. Um, old, what's his name? Hacker. Hacker Booth's mm-hmm. boss uh, yep. from the Drew Carey show is here. Yeah. He's horny cl- for bones. Another classic appearance of Diedrich Bader. Diedrich Bader, big man on campus. He's here to smile at everybody and do comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rena Sofa is also here from uh, every soap opera, and you may recognize her as Marianne in the Seinfeld episode, The Muffin Tops. Yeah, and uh, additionally, you can, I got, immediately I was like, ah, she's just famous enough that she is going to be a recurring guest for three episodes as Booth's love interest. And I was right. Exactly I mean, I don't three know episodes. About the next episodes, <laughs> but there are three or four episodes left in the series. And um, I'm pretty sure, sh- and she definitely is too famous, and they gave her too much characterization to be a one-episode character. Yep. Um, so she's here from the aquarium, and she's horny for Booth, and Booth mm-hmm. is also still horny for Bones. Yeah. Ah, cl- a, a classic love triangle situation. <laughs> yes. Damn. Uh, Bones decides that the leg is probably male. Based mm-hmm. on the fact that men are half the population, I guess <laughs> it's probably Look, it's a fi- it's a fifty fifty shot. Yeah, you know, if you just guess, one of your guesses is going to be right. So uh, they say, "Hey, uh, this this got coughed up by a tiger shark, but there's also bite marks from a hammerhead." And they say, "What? <gasps> they don't hang out together at the same time." And a red snapper. But Delicious. none of these fish First of are all. in the same place at the same time. Red snapper, uh, one of the best fish. My father-in-law of... catches a lot of snapper. 
Oh yeah, I mean it's uh, uh in, ter- in terms of like um, uh, uh, like a if I want if I see a grilled whole fish put down in front of me, I want to see I want it to be a red snapper or like a golden bream, both of those, goat fish, amazing fish. So you know already my attention was grabbed by this episode. <laughs> I was reading about a uh, regional hot dog varieties yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, uh, okay, checks out. This is Andrew I'm talking to. As I do. And there is one in America called the Red Snapper. It's a very bright red hot dog casing. Mm-hmm. And then they just grill them and like pour some chili over it or whatever. So, Red Snapper, the fish, not the hot dog. Uh, and they say, but where, whence, could we find a bunch of fish hanging out together in one place? Oh, off to the aquarium. It's time. It's time for a. I, I've, I've written this down here. Like, were they sponsored by the National Aquarium Association? <laughs> because they're just like, where could we go? That's great for a date, a day out with the family, or just somewhere to reflect. Our local aquarium, perhaps. And then there's just like lots of like, like sort of you know, like really like glamour shots of the fish in the aquarium swimming around. Just like really, really heavily pro-aquarium sentiment in this particular episode of Bones. It's great for a class trip or it's great for a day out with the family. Like they cannot stop. The aquarium is treated like the Toyota. Yes. The parking assist on this hammerhead is (laughs) out of this world. I really, I I keep like, anytime they're in a car, I'm now like, are they going to do, are they going to talk about one of the features of the car? Yeah, well, Booth was in a car at some point and said, I can't see what you're showing me. I'm driving a car. And I was like, what kind of car? Yeah. Um, what kind of car? Has, is there power-assisted steering? Have you used the Tiptronic, <laughs> the Tiptronic gear shift? Yep. So, they're, um, so they go to the aquarium and they see a whole lot of fish swimming around in a great big tank. And um, somebody who works at the aquarium explains to them that uh, they can't see everything in the tank from this vantage point because it's so big. And uh, Booth looks and says... Because it's so big and has such a wide variety of sea life in it. You couldn't possibly see it all in one day. And, um, ca- <laughs> we recommend our season pass. <laughs> causing Booth to say, and I wrote this down, uh, it's like an ocean in itself. It's <laughs> <laughs> right, Booth. It is like an ocean it in is. itself. It is. like a smaller so ocean. Like a facsimile of the big ocean that you're used to. Just uh-huh. one of the many reasons to go to the aquarium, the Washington <laughs> State Aquarium. Is it? Is it? Is, is, sorry, is it, I really. It's just like they don't know how to write about something without like promoting it. So um, so there's an animal husbandry lady there, and she's talking to them about how they definitely wasn't someone at the pool who got eaten. When bam, yeah, a uh, big fish pukes up a skull. Yeah, I, I bet the big fish was just waiting with it in its mouth like, oh, they're going to be so surprised. Can't wait till wait. the FBI gets here. <laughs> I can't wait till the FBI gets here and then one of the aquariums and then an aquarium staff member against whom I have a grudge says that there's no, nothing close to a fatal accident. I'm going to make them look so stupid. <laughs> Skull. <laughs> Owned. And the crowd sees the skull and somebody in the crowd says, Security. Uh, <laughs> Help, there's a skeleton. Yeah. Security, hold me. <laughs> Secu- security, uh, there's a, a level one monster. Uh, and then, of course, we get straight to... Credits. Crystal method, baby. So by the normal rules of bones, they would have had to have said... That's not actually a skull. It's just an interestingly shaped rock. Yeah, that wasn't a fish. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually a mermaid. That was just a common mermaid. Yep. Um, so we are immediately back at the aquarium with both Bones and Hodgins in wetsuits arguing about who gets to go in and get the bones. All the people at the aquarium are like, shouldn't someone who works here do that? And they're like, no, we're the FBI. <laughs> we make up the rules. Uh, they go for a little swim in there. Love and the aquarium rules. Yeah. <laughs> uh, your, you aquarium staff and your jurisdiction hold no sway over us. And they go for a little swim down the thing and they helpfully see something which uh, nobody else who works at the aquarium could see, which is like three quarters of a skeleton, all still mm-hmm. stuck together and everything. 
Pretty, mm-hmm. pretty cool. Um, so back at the FBI, uh, Rena Sofa shows up and is like, hey, Booth, want to go out on dates? And he's like, yes, after I have cleared you of murder. Yeah, yeah. I, there's, this is some some of like, you know, the Joss Whedon uh, writing creeping back in where he's like, if you're not a suspect, once all is done, I can go out with you or uh, you can go out with me, either one. And she's like, uh, why don't we do both at the same time? And it's like, oh, it's great. It's so cool. Yeah, I think let's let's get the whole B plot out of the way, which is that um, that Bones is going on a date with Hacker, Diedrich Vader from the FBI, um, Booth's boss. It's all highly inappropriate, but nobody seems to mind. Um, yep. Booth is going to go out with on a date with this lady because he made a point in the previous episode of saying, Bones, if you don't want to ride this dick, then get the fuck off. I'm going to find somebody mm-hmm. who will have intercourse with me. I'm going to find and, somebody uh, that won't say, I don't know what that is when I show her my penis. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to find someone who is played by uh, a sort of TV actress where people who look at her will say, I've seen her. What's she from? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to find someone who is, I'm going to find someone who's a main character in a less profitable show to be a temporary running guest in the B plots of our much more profitable show. That's the kind of permanent Wi-Fi I want, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, the whole sort of B-plot here plays out in such a way where, like, Bones and Booth are, like, talking to one another about their dates with these other people. And they're like, ah, well, she's not as smart as you. Oh, well, he's not as handsome as you. Uh, and then just keeping ex- continue to exchange loving glances um, to really sort of, you know, again, to make the point with a, a sort of a sledgehammer that it's like, they're actually right for one another. Please do not take seriously the idea that they may get together with other people because emotional stakes is uh, too difficult for people in 2009 to process. And they need it to be like, ver- they need to, it almost needs to be like a subtitle that says, these relationships won't work. These two will be getting back together. Don't like, don't, it's almost like they want to, they want to dispel a sense of suspense or uncertainty in storytelling where they're like, don't worry, this is just a bump in the road to them being happy together. No, you don't want to be challenged or anything. Um, Back at the lab. Ah, 2009. Back at the lab, Clark is back after another lengthy unexplained absence. Uh, He says Mm -hmm. the victim got stabbed in the eye and that makes it a homicide. Yep. That's that's the one of the that's one of the definitions of a homicide. Mm-hmm. Um, now Hodgins has a big piece of coral that looks like a brain. He explains that due to the way that it absorbs stuff, that he can like date the exact ammonia, the exact moment that like the ammonia levels in the in the tank spiked, which is something the the lady from the aquarium said to them, and he can figure out exactly what else was in. <laughs> the tank at the time that happened we're gonna figure figure out who peed in the aquarium yeah yeah i've got in my notes this is going to lead to something very stupid but i'm not actually sure that it ever came up again uh i think what it does is it pinpoints the time that the murder happened okay i think that's about it uh so they now have a lead on the id like um booth gets a phone call from hacker saying they have a lead on the id you need to look into a man named jazz gun Jazz yeah, it's all gun. about the shots you don't fire. <laughs> Shoot it about. It's about the space between the bullets. <laughs> yeah, uh, like people wonder how the magic bullet theory works. It was actually um, Lee Harvey Oswald was scatting. <laughs> Shoot it about, about. Firing a notorious jazz gun. Yeah. <clears throat> Shoot it about. It's like a like a jazz cigarette. Ski bop. <laughs> Just, I love this shit. Just uh, pull it, like the cops pull out a gun and I'm like, stand on the, stand on the ground, comply, shoot a pop up. <laughs> Ski boop. So, Jazz Gun was a self help guru who had a car accident in 1991, but after swimming with sharks in the Brazilian mm-hmm. ocean, he was cured. They watched right. one of his videos in which he says, let's begin with He's life actually lesson now number finance one. minister in Brazil in real life. Uh, his life lesson number one from the video eat or be eaten what if your friends and neighbors tried to eat you and he points right down the camera you know um i don't know if you caught the other lessons that are on screen in the video but i have captured them them here yeah 
Uh, number one. Did. Okay, good. Eat or be eaten. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Who wants to be eaten? Not me. No. Nope. Well, you know, maybe someone with a vor fetish. Number two. Seek out weakness in others. That classic shark quality. Of yeah, seeking sharks are out. always doing that. Sharks are always sidling up to a fish and saying, how do you feel about yourself? Yeah. How do you see yourself? Fish and being like, when you look in a mirror, what do you see? <laughs> encouraging them to take, like, encouraging them to start drinking again, <laughs> kind of a thing. Uh, number three. Think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Number three. What's adapt that? or die, all uppercase on die, because <laughs> that is important. No, it's German. It's adapt or the. Adapt. <laughs> adapt or the. The, but the. Uh, number four. One mind, any weapon. They just made that up at that point. They didn't think of a fourth one. <laughs> and of course, number five, the funniest one, never stop moving forward. Yeah, be like a sh- Have scaly gray skin. Um, po- positive shark mindset. <laughs> <laughs> so this, it's really funny that this is, this kind of self-help thing actually did end up getting really sort of popular sort of several years after Bones wrote this self-help character. I mean, I'm sure it always was like there were guys like this because they always rip things from the headlines. But it, oddly, this became so, as as we all know, like this is kind of a little bit to the shark of a Jordan Peterson thing. Yeah. You know? Also, all five of them are just eat or be eaten. It's just different ways of saying eat or be eaten, really. The chaos dragon... Yeah. Which is your wife. Or my mm-hmm. wife. It's just wives. <laughs> just wives. Yeah, wives in general. They love to be chaotic and breathe fire and sit on hordes of gold. Oh, dear. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, this is, the, this, I think this is another thing of the, the Bones writers sort of, you know, kind of tapping into something by accident where they can understand sort of some of the more atavistic elements of American culture and then just sort of act as a kind of channel for them to be expressed where it's like they, they understand the, cause this is another, um, there's more of the economic mess, uh, that sort of comes through in this episode because this guy's, uh, seminars are popular with people who've just lost their jobs. His assistant loses his job and then actually does labor organizing to get a new contract. Um, and you know, the ultimate, murderer is again someone who someone whose you know, financial circumstances are difficult so it's it's they they sort of understand the sort of growing chaos of life in in america and the desire or not just america and the, the west more broadly and the desire to sort of take these things in hand and to pick up one of these sort of quite you know let's say atavistic life philosophies because you can't conceive of taking things into hand accept by yourself and over others and so on and and so that that's i think what's behind the proliferation of these kinds of self-help out of like the fringes of self-help and just into the mainstream where they become unignorable and and so yeah just it it felt very yeah like i said strangely like the like the bones writers had the prevailing cultural milieu the 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 national feeling the um uh uh uh, uh, uh the the zeitgeist I, I guess sort of just speaking through them for a moment and then they throw it all away <laughs> as they do every episode that's right they um, while they're looking through some of the footage from this thing and of course this will come back around in a way that they manage to make not at all interesting um so. <laughs> so they say, hey, this guy had a falling out with his assistant, one who we can see in the video, wielding a metal stylus. And the victim got stabbed with a metal thing. So let's arrest him instantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one count of holding a stylus, one count of accessory to holding a stylus. Yes, one count of being employed at some point. Um, so so they drag him in to interview him, um, to interview Tad Benedict, and he says, no. Jaskun and Tad Benedict. Benedict. Together again. Um, and, and he says to Booth, I couldn't possibly have done it. 
Anyway, Jazz loved the sea. He wanted to swim in the big tank. Yeah, of course. He clearly Why just not? threw himself in there, you know. Now, what if what if what if what if he wanted to be eaten by the shark? Yeah, it's closed. A classic case of wacko. It's legal. Um, <laughs> it's it's legal to be eaten by a shark. Yeah. You're a vol guy. Um, now this is true bone style because they set this guy up and say, "Ooh, he had a perfect motive." For being angry at this guy, wanting to see him dead, taking revenge. He's holding a stylus and everything. Very next scene is Hodgins coming over and saying, hey, I found some leather from a wallet in the tank. If you were going to jump in on purpose, you wouldn't take your wallet with you, which means he didn't go in there willingly. So just forget about that, that whole thing? other thing that we just said. Also, also, like the whole just idea of maybe he jumped into the shark tank at the aquarium himself was like taken seriously and to be debunked <laughs> with some Hodgins evidence. So there is a whole, there's a whole moment here where um, they, I, I can't even remember how it came up, but they realized that like on the night in question, there was a school excursion there with a whole bunch of mm-hmm. kids and they all had okay. a disposable camera. They talked to the teacher who took them there and she says, well, maybe there would be a picture on one of their cameras. They all had disposable cameras and they take photos of all this shit. And so they get all of the the cameras and they develop all of the pictures and mm-hmm. they're looking through them all and they then uh, get like a, a picture that's sort of like through, through a tank or a reflection or something like that. And then they decide to do like reverse wild speculation. <laughs> which... <laughs> so, so Cam looking at this dark blurry picture says... Why can't you just lighten up the guy's face and zoom in? And she says this, I'm assuming, because she has been there throughout all these other episodes where they did exactly that. Yes. Uh, Angela says, because it was a cell phone camera that was aimed by a child and uh, <laughs> under 30 feet of water and, and uh, the plexiglass is a foot thick and it's nighttime... And Cam's like, it's so reasonable. Sorry, I was just asking. And you might think that they would just say, we can't get an ID from this photo. Instead, Angela says, I used some warping software to reverse the direction of the distortion that was caused by the waves on the surface of the water. Then I lit it up. This is the best I can do. And it's just a photo of a guy's face. <laughs> yeah, this, the best I can do is a photo that gives us a positive ID. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. So they spend... They spend like a few... We can't do any phrenology on this guy with this. We'll need at least 10% more clarity to figure out if this guy is a Sicilian murderer's ridge. Why Why did you need to like shit all over Cam for asking if they could get an ID from this photo only to then say, oh yeah, I, I sorted that out. Well, I mean, I'll tell you actually why. It's that they were several minutes into... They were already 15 minutes into writing it, and they had nowhere else to go. So they were like, oh, okay, wait a minute. Sorry, that was wrong. Maybe we can. We can't delete what we've already written, but we can add something else to say, actually, it does work. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you, the, everybody in the Bones writer's room has the backspace key removed from their keyboard. <laughs> Yeah, keep moving forward. No one has a delete key. They all live like the shark, you know? Yeah, they, the the five principles of living by the shark, eat or be eaten, seek out weakness in others, uh, never stop moving forward. That's just how you write an episode of Bones. So this is where we get a lead that is definitely going somewhere. It's a guy who works at the aquarium called Ben. Bones knows because she saw him there that night and he said, hi, my name is Ben. Yeah. But he wasn't meant to be More there ben? working there on the night. Uh, they go through shit somehow and they find a check made out to him from a mob boss, from a Russian mob boss. First bank of crime. <laughs> first, first bank of crime for many rubles. Mm-hmm. So Booth pulls yeah, him in just... to interview him. And, uh, I love this. this is this is probably my favorite sequence of events in any episode of Bones. Just just in terms of being like a solid twenty minutes of this episode that means nothing, nothing yeah. at all. So Booth says uh, to this guy, "Hey, is a check made out to you? Your name on it for ten thousand dollars. You deposited it the day after the murder, signed by Dmitry Vledov." And he says, oh, no, this looks bad because he is a big Russian mobster type. 
And Booth says, yes, it does look bad. It's made out to you for $10,000. And the guy says... This mafia guy writing a fucking check. Yeah, yeah. The guy says, it's not what you think. But if I tell you, he will kill me. I want a lawyer. I'm not saying anything else. And if you ask for a lawyer, it means you didn't do the murder. In Bones' world. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, of course, because if you did, you'd admit it, except if you're Vladov the Impaler, who they call him because, you know, they have like one, they know one thing mm-hmm. um, about, they know one thing about everything. Um, and and then Bones is talking to D- Diedrich Bader about this, and uh, his, his boss, Hacker, is like, he's got a brilliant way of staying out of prison. He denies everything. Because yeah. <laughs> he's the only person in the Bones cinematic universe who is able to deny a crime that they did when accused of it directly. Well, he's the, he's the only one who's like aware of the rules of the Matrix, you know? Yeah. That's how he bends so the, the spoon. They, they know, yeah, they know he killed a guy. They say, you killed this guy. And he just says, no, I didn't. No, no I did not. Damn. Well, when Booth says to Hacker, how does he get away with it? And Hacker says, what's the Russian word for Teflon? And he says, I don't know. Teflonistan? It's Teflon. Yes, it's te- a Central Asian Teflon country. It's <laughs> awesome. Teflonistan. They also mentioned that he's been I, smuggling I, counterfeit vodka for years. Okay. Man, they, they, they took... He might as well have been coming in, like, like dancing in a bear, in a bear outfit. Like, doing the, the, the Cossack dance. Like, 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 with both like a, a hammer and sickle on it on his head, and a sort of you know czarist crown. Like he, they just they were like, we're gonna take everything we know about Russia and just pour it into this character. So, including some stuff that's nothing to do with Russia, like places that have a country's name Stan <laughs> and uh, Vlad the Impaler, who's not Russian. <laughs> All right. So Hodgson says that the Russians import. Uh, booze with blue dye in it um, as like window cleaner and then they have to get the dye out with a reverse osmosis filter just like one that was stolen from the aquarium Uh, Booth hassles the mob boss who says I don't know what you're talking about and he's like damn I gotta let him go (laughs) Um, (laughs) curses so then they they find embryonic cells one thing I've got yeah. the, the exchange here at the end of the Vladov scene Vladov says am I under arrest and Booth says I don't know are you which is totally <laughs> something you can say when you're a law enforcement official maybe and then Vladov said you now owe me a favor and then Booth says no I don't and then the scene ends and we never hear from either of these we never hear from this character again yep um <laughs> I mean look I I, I mean I'd love a, a world where that, that doesn't come up in any later episode, like where Vladov the Impaler isn't now going to be a multi-episode arc character, because I'd love the version of reality where they just forgot about this storyline, wrote their way through it, and they were like, anyway, time to get back to the full episode. But I can't... If Putting my marker down here, if Vladov the Impaler does not come up again this season, I am going to be so impressed. If they can stop themselves from bringing him back. Yeah. And like, how could you? Anyway. So, you know, but still, yeah. Am I under arrest? I don't know. Are you? You owe me a favor. No, I don't. See. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much it. So, um... So yeah, they they back in the lab they find embryonic cells in the filter and a bit of spine, which means that it was Jazz Gunn's body because he had his spine fixed with surgery. Gasp. And um, also the fish spine was, stabbed in the face. He was lying about his made up nonsense. <gasps> no. <laughs> that that destroys the credibility of his other made-up nonsense. And the fish spine is just the same size as the big needle they've been looking for that they've been telling everybody the victim was stabbed in the face with. I like that they that they say, we are looking for a needle. Like, Yeah, they just... They say, this is what the murder weapon was, and then they look until they find something else that's a similar shape, and then they go, oh, this is what the murder weapon was. <laughs> Whatever, whatever kind of feels yeah, right in the moment, you know. 
Um, Bones says the whole point of being a police, forensic police investigator is that you just completely believe whatever plausible piece of evidence hoves into your field of view until it's completely and imp- and provably not the main thing. At which point, another piece of evidence will hove into view. So, um, leading Bones to declare, this fish is our murder weapon. Awesome. So she she then explains the death away by saying the victim and the killer gained access to the back area of the aquarium before the door was locked. Mr. Jazz Gun saw the lionfish in quarantine. He was all about facing his fears. He saw one of the world's most venomous fish and was taking a look at it from above the surface of the water when someone forcibly pushed his head into the tank, causing a cleft fracture of the styloid process. So just just imagining all of this, just being like, yeah, that guy I don't know. He seems like the sort to do this. Yeah, but Betty, Betty, Betty did it to himself. Case closed. But also, psychology is bullshit. It's like speculating, <laughs> speculating on exactly what this guy would or wouldn't do. Also, psychology. Betty would have worn a blue shirt. Seems like a blue shirt kind of guy. So anyway. Turns out it was the school teacher from halfway through the episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because she was yep. like, I went to a bunch of his seminars um, and he convinced me that if I faced my fears, my pain would disappear. And he took me to see a poisonous fish and said to face my fears. But then I shoved his lying face into the poisonous fish. I knew he'd feel pain. And it's just like, what is the motive here? I don't get it. Is the school teacher's like, ah, I went to his seminars and I didn't, it, I didn't cure my fibromyalgia. So then I killed him. Yeah. And I actually wrote, okay, so wait, did she just admit to this murder that they couldn't possibly have pin, pinned on her? Well, yeah, you gotta, you gotta let him get it somehow, you know? Well, I mean, she doesn't have the Vladov uh, superpower where they just start because if look it ultimately you know if they really had time they could just accuse everyone in america of the murder and the person who did it would confess yeah yeah you know but they don't have that kind of time every week so they have to do the investigation to try to narrow it down it's they can do it within 45 minutes and i really like this is one of those situations where when they started questioning the teacher and then like her demeanor changed i paused it to look at the duration of the episode and i was like up Yep, it's her. <laughs> they forgot to write. <laughs> they forgot to write most of the case, and so they're just sort of saying some stuff about a fish and how mm, you know the psychology motivations. And then she basically like spells out at the like the longer the confession is at the end of the episode, the more of the case they've neglected to write because all of this stuff they could have figured out for themselves, but they had this like ten minute detour about the Russian mobster that doesn't go anywhere. Doesn't so go anywhere. To back we're gonna need to backfill a bunch of motive into this. They also never they also never establish what the mobster paid the guy for. Like, I guess it was strongly implied that um, that they wanted a reverse osmosis filter from the aquarium in order for him to process his illegal vodka with. But he skirted that by simply saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Crafty Russian that he is. Again, as only he can. And, and so then let's like, I mean, again, let's be charitable to them. They might be setting up like a multi-character episode arc. But again, they were like, okay, we need to set up a multi-episode arc. How can we find out that the Russian mobster is involved? I don't know. Maybe he paid for a crime with a check. Uh, what's the crime? Eh. <laughs> we just got to introduce him. Well, as, um, as Hacker quite rightly points out during this whole conversation, he says, oh, there's like a shitload of investigations into this guy all the time and he never gets caught. Why would he pay for a crime with a check? And that's hard to argue with. Yeah. And hey, you know what? Good, good mystery writing is when you um, just leave those questions hanging. <laughs> In the hopes I'm that like that man good... will return. <laughs> it's what it is. It's like... I, I think I've, I've sort of alluded to this before, but I think I'm sort of closing in on this a little bit more. Bones has to be actually be understood as uh, accidental Thomas Pynchon. <laughs> it's like these <laughs> mysteries that sort of get set up or sort of paranoically followed. Things don't go anywhere. Everything's kind of a hallucination. Like if you wanted to like, I, cause I, I recently read inherent vice again and I was like, 
I kind of get the Bones vibe from this of just like someone of like Doc investigating a crime where he doesn't really know what the crime is or why and he keeps forgetting why he's doing things. And I was like, yeah, this is a Thomas Pynchon has detected uh, the crime procedural. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's several minutes left in the episode and they choose to use it uh, with people having their respective dates and going, yeah, that was fine. But I pine for Booth slash Bones. Uh, and then they meet up yes. together at the end of the episode and they say, "I we should have been dating each other, right? I mean, it's fine to date other people. Yeah, exactly. Very underwhelming end. Yeah, it's cool. Normally, I, I like it best when they, they say, you did the murder and then the episode abruptly ends. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, the, the the best one for me for that was the Amish guy where they just sort of reflect on the randomness of death. <laughs> it's just like, ah, uh, it was done. It was done by an unrelated person we never considered. Hmm, you really can be killed anywhere by criminals. Episode ends. Yeah, um, they, yeah, they look around the room and they go, uh, that guy. Very silly. But look, I do hope the mob boss comes back. Yeah, I'd like to see more of how they write a Russian character by being like, hang on, what places talk with this kind of accent? And everywhere that talks with that kind of an accent, they're just like, yeah, he's like that. He's one. Yeah, he's one of them. <laughs> he's one of those guys. <laughs> one of you those. know vodka criminals. Countries that end in Stan. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. The flat the impaler. That, that area. Oh dear. Well, that's it for us for this week, folks. Thank you for stopping by. Yeah, I, we're 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 getting so much better at getting these to a manageable length. And we only yeah. have to thank the Riders of Bones for that. <laughs> Thank you, writers of bones. Thank you, everybody. Say thank you, including people who are listening. On one, two, three. Thank you, Hart Hansen. One, two, three. Thank you, thank Hart you, Hart Hansen. Beautiful. Uh, I love the high ping of a UK Australia podcast. <laughs> it makes that kind of gag impossible. Uh, that's it, everybody. See you next time. Bye.